Roger Miller, that's correct, aortic valve replacement in Wheeling Hospital is coming up. The date is not known yet uh, for him. Also, uh, so this is Glenn Roger Miller. Another request that uh, I believe Sue Hartley, I know, has a back surgery this Friday in New Albany, but also uh, we got a, my wife got a message from my mother-in-law where she goes to church in Newark, Bible Baptist Church. The pastor there just found out. He announced today that he has stomach cancer, which uh, is 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 bad. His name's Carl Reiner. If we could remember him in prayer, also, that would be great. Glenn Roger Miller is in addition to the list. Carl Reiner, and then please remember Sue Hartley as well. If you have your Bibles tonight, if you'd open to the fourth chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter four. Now we have the opportunity, as far as I know, for Genesis to start to move a little bit. This is where it starts to, the narrative starts to, to, to pick up. I, I believe that Genesis teaches the literal and physical origin of all humanity, which sprung from two literal people that actually existed that God created, named Adam and Eve. God created man in his image and after his likeness, male and female, he created them. He created a garden paradise in Eden for Adam and Eve to work and exercise dominion while in the freedom and joy of fellowship with God in his presence, he made them with the capacity to physically produce children in Adam's image and likeness to help spread this paradise to every corner of the earth that he had created. But Adam and Eve, as we know, decided to self-identify and detach themselves from God as their ruler in order to rule and decide for themselves. So more than a fall, as it's called, which is correct, it's really more of a reach, as Paul Walker would call it, trying to fulfill the desire to be like God, as the serpent promised Eve would become if she ate the fruit. It was a desire to be free and autonomous and sovereign. The problem with that is only God is those things. Only God. But that's what they wanted. So even in a state of innocence, unlike anything any other human being would ever know, they still rebelled. Nothing that isn't God can be pure like God. And so God exiled them from paradise, cursed them with enmity and conflict and death. Nothing will yield to mankind easily. Now everything in our lives will be a fight. And by no means of effort or rededication or rites and ceremonies can human beings ever gain eternal life back in to the paradise of God's presence. So the story of Genesis, which becomes the story of biblical history, which of course means it's the story of human history, is the attempt to return to paradise. Human history ultimately describes our attempt to rescue ourselves from exile. That's what everything is. The seed of the serpent, that is, those who refuse to have faith in God's means of restoration will try to regain paradise with man-made religion, right? Effort and works to control God's favor. The seed of the woman, those who have faith only in God, hope only that God will restore them to paradise in his presence by his love and grace. The seed that was promised that will crush the serpent's head and undo the curse will come from that line. And so Genesis 4:17 and following begins to recount 
the tale of two offspring. That is literally what the Bible is. This text sets up human history by contrasting two offspring, that of Cain and that of Adam and Eve's next son named Seth. Our hope tonight, beloved, and always is not in building a home on earth, but in longing for God who will give us a home from heaven. Pray with me one more time. Father, I ask that you would open your word to your people tonight. I thank you, God, for another opportunity to proclaim Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins through Genesis. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Help me speak clearly. Help everyone understand. I ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me read verse 17 from Genesis chapter 4. It says, Cain knew his wife. Remember, he's been exiled. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, there's a set pattern that God is revealing to us in this text. Things are established here that further reveal to us the difference or that there is a difference between the two offspring prophesied by God back in Genesis 3.15. We know Cain has been exiled to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth back in verse 12. And just as he had decided on his own that he would bring offerings to God to control God's favor, he decides again to make the most of the situation in which God had placed him on his own terms. You make me a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, fine, I'll build a city. That's how I'll take care of that. I won't be a wanderer or a fugitive. I'll plant myself right here and I'll even make a name for myself so that it lasts. Cain the wanderer seeks to end his wandering by building a city. That's why he names the city after his son, Enoch. Now keep that name in your mind. What is Cain's purpose here? Why is he doing this? To escape the curse. To build a legacy by building a legacy. To make his name last. This is a fist shaking in God's face. I'm not going to wander on this earth. I'll make this earth my home. right? I won't be a fugitive in an exile if I build a home here. I don't have to wander anywhere. And I'll make sure it lasts by naming it after my son so that all who ever dwell here remember whose home this really is. Cain's answer to the curse, please notice this. Cain's answer to the curse is to make the best of it by building a home and making a name for himself. Beloved, that sounds to me like the American dream. Now comes the next toldot or record in the text from Enoch's son to Tubal Cain. Look at verse 18. We'll read down through verse 24. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, so we picked Lamech back up, okay? It's very interesting. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. 
You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, two things stand out in this section. The cultural markers being established, right? Meaning the land of his exile is becoming more and more Cain's home. And this additional information or this interruption out of sequence that we get about Lamech. Those who dwell in tents and have livestock, that's agriculture. Those who play the lyre and pipe, that's music. The forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, metalworking, stone masonry. It's interesting, a departure from exclusively working the land. Do you see that? Human culture as the expression of our desire for the world to be our home is established here in Genesis 4. Let me, let me say that again. Human culture as the expression of our desire for the world to be our home is established here in Genesis 4. Cain's line are the builder of cities. They seek to build a home in this world. They try to establish a life apart from being dependent on the presence and promise of God to have freedom and joy. Make yourself at home here, says Cain to his descendants. Right? And look at this piece and all this that the author brings out further to modify it. Like I said, verses 23 and 24 interrupt the genealogy to recall verse 19. The author wants us to see what Lamech does specifically as a sort of commentary on the entire line of Cain, the line that wants to make its home on earth. Lamech took two wives. You can do that, apparently, right? Lamech takes two wives. Listen to verses 23 and 24 again. Just listen to this. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. You hear him? You hear this? I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. I am all that is man, is what Lamech is saying. Cities and women, baby. Right? That's Lamech. Right? Cities and women. Know my name. Look at what I have. This is the birth of chauvinism. This is it right here. With two wives now, he can perpetuate or perpetuate his name with double the resources. Right? What God had given to spread his name throughout the earth, the ability to be fruitful and multiply, is hijacked by the seed of the serpent for men to make a name for themselves. Right? Notice this. Now that cities have been established and the names are carrying on, mankind is becoming increasingly confident in himself. That's what Lamech demonstrates. He's the next man to speak in the text, that is, since Cain, And his pronouncement is one of pride in his accomplishments. That's what marks the line of Cain. By the time Lamech is having children, he comes to believe that he's even more important than Cain was. Do you see the progression downward, but upward in human terms? Right? That, that back then, you know, vengeance on him was sevenfold. On me, it'll be seventy-sevenfold. I'm bigger. I'm a bigger deal than Cain was. That's the progression. Look at what we've accomplished as human beings. In the year 2019. Look at what has been accomplished. Look at what we can do. It really is amazing. And oh how we love that we've done all this. Lamech says if I was to die. Those who avenge me would be even greater than those who avenge Cain. 
with the multiplication of the line of Cain, the pride of man in himself and his accomplishments multiplies with it. So as that line multiplies, we're moving further away from the promise that one of them will crush the serpent's head. That's the tale of one offspring. Now, let's read the tale of the other. Look at verse 25. And Adam, so he's still there. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, did you hear the subtle difference in Eve's words about her son this time, as opposed to last time? Eve appears, I think we we get that from the name and what she says. She appears to have been tragically softened by the murder of Abel, and it appears that over time, Her heart has begun to look Godward again. She names this son Seth because Seth means appointed. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Sounds way different than I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, which she said when Cain was born. There's a huge difference between I did this and you helped and you appointed this, you gave this son to me. You see that difference? If God has appointed this son, then maybe he will fulfill the promise. You can hear the hope in her words. And then we read that that son, Seth, has his own son with a slightly different name than Cain's son. No cities are built. And we are also given commentary about this line, this offspring, at the end of verse 26. What's the commentary on them? What is said about them? What did they create and make and contribute? At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That didn't happen in Cain's line, did it? That happened at this time, in verse 26, in the time of Seth's offspring. Cain's line are the builders of cities here, Seth's line calls on the name of the Lord. No home here. There are no cultural markers here. There's no boasting. In this line, there is no mention whatsoever of an attempt to settle or to make this world our home. In fact, we'll read the polar opposite of that in just a few verses. Instead, the one sentence describing and shaping this line is that here is when people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. For what? Why would you call on somebody? The text doesn't say, but I think the reason for the calling was to know the Lord. I think that is modified later on, to bring him close. That's why you call to someone. This line then knows that home can never be found apart from God. So now chapter 5 introduces the largest toldote. Again, that's those those markers set, they they trace the story of Genesis for us. There are markers in the narrative. This is the line of Adam through Seth. It's the longest one so far in the text. Cain and Abel are not a part of this. That's very interesting. And the distinction that we're trying to make here about the two offspring is going to be put right in front of our faces here. Names are used in the text to help us draw a line between the two offspring. The names are here in God's sovereign design so that we see a difference and we make a note of it in our 
souls. Look at the first three verses of chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. This text, if you remember, we referenced it in chapter 2 when we were talking about what it means to be made in his image and his likeness. This text reminds us what it meant in the first place that Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. That is a statement mainly of sonship. Adam was created in God's image and likeness, meaning Adam was a son of God, a son specifically who was meant to have dominion over all creation, ruling over it as God's region on the earth. When those images or words are recalled here, it is the author's way of signifying that hope for that image to be remade into all that was originally intended lives. It's not gone through, not the line of Cain though, but through the line of Seth. Let me read 4 through 24. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Do I believe they literally lived that long? Yes, I do. I don't have any reason in the text to not believe that. The world was extremely different then. You're talking about much cleaner earth and cells and all these things. If, If the Bible doesn't give me a reason to interpret it other than what I see We need to respect the text and stick with it. I think they were absolutely this old. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. By the way, just real quick, I'll I'll try to address the elephant in the room the best that I can. How did the, where, who was Cain's wife? Where did, where did she come from? Beloved, we have two options. Okay. Either the sons of Adam and Eve knew each other. You with me? You say, Oh my gosh, that not then. It wouldn't have been horrible then. It obviously would have been God's design. We're not there anymore. Or the other option is God created other people and we don't know about it. Those are, I think, the only two responsible things we can come up with but ultimately the answer is I, I i don't know but i i know god and i know his word is true so we just we just believe right we just believe it's a lot better than other alternatives that, that maybe there was nothing and it blew up and here we are right i love it when nothing blows up it makes total sense i'll pick up at verse six when seth had lived 105 years he fathered enosh Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Very interesting that he's only picking up Certain names. Thus all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. 
Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now here's commentary. All right. And try to hear the differences. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. Think of all the time that has passed and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. In 21 verses, There isn't one single accomplishment of any of these descendants listed for us other than the fact that they had children. You see the, you see the difference the text is laboring to show. More time has passed there. More people have been born and come into the world, but nothing that they've done is mentioned. In 4.17 to 24, just seven verses, eight really, every single person mentioned had some type of commentary on what they had accomplished, and it was all tied to this world. In a much longer section, not one accomplishment is mentioned. There's practically no commentary at all until we come to another Enoch. Right? Another person named Enoch. A different one. This one is a descendant of Seth. This Enoch didn't have a city named after him. His father hadn't built any cities. This Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. The simplicity of this, right? All that the line of Cain was trying to replace by its cities and its culture and its work, paradise again, this Enoch found because he walked with God, period. He didn't wander as an exile or a fugitive, rejecting the word of God. He walked with God. And notice, God just took him. Beloved, what a picture of salvation, of the hope that we all have. God just takes him. That's that's his story. Removes him from the earth. He was there, and then he wasn't. And he takes him unto himself. Which, by the way, is precisely what another descendant of Seth, the last Adam, promises he will do for you and I in John 14. But it's in Seth's line that another Enoch is produced who, rather than seeking a home in this world, apparently desired fellowship with the Lord so much that the Lord just took him. He just took him. Look at 25 to 27. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. You hear the name again? Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah, oldest man mentioned in the Bible, were 969 years and he died. So the text showed us another Enoch. There was commentary. Now we see another Lamech, don't we? The name conjures up an image. If we're reading the text, The names are the same. Both lines are made up of human beings cursed as a result of the fall. What's the difference? One offspring wants to make this world into home, while the other offspring just longs for God. And we get, just like we got commentary on the first Lamech, 
We get commentary on the second. Look at the text, 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. That's Cain language. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It is in the line of Seth, right, that the hope for the promised seed is renewed, remembered, and carried on, right? Everything in the Bible finds its meaning and its connection to Genesis 3.15. While Cain's offspring have given up all notions of rest, you notice that, and instead use work as the means of building their home here without God, right? Just as Cain twisted his curse of wandering to settle down and make a name for himself, that's in the DNA of his line. His whole line takes the curse of the sweat of their brow as a means of achievement and self-exaltation to make a name for themselves. They want to work, right? That's how you break the curse. You work, right? You, you, what is Babel going to be? We will build a tower. We will make a name for ourselves. That has always been the idea that comes from the curse. Cain's offspring craved work and achievement. Seth's offspring, this Lamech, longed for rest, relief in fellowship with God again, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed in Cain, in Adam. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands, verse 29. And that son's name is Noah, which by the way, sounds just like the Hebrew word for rest. Eve had hope that Seth's birth meant God was still committed to his promise. Eve died long before she heard Lamech say this over his son. You see the the difference in what is said in the two offspring, where the hope is, one to make a home, one for the seed to come that will end it, right? That hope carries on for the seed through a different Lamech who believes that his son will somehow bring them rest from what has been cursed. The two lines, pardon the pun, couldn't be more distinctly drawn for us here, beloved, between these, or the line couldn't be more distinctly drawn for us here. Two Lamechs, two Enochs, one trying to work to make his name great and make this cursed world into his home, the other longing for rest to be taken back into the presence of God, our Father. The fundamental difference is the desire for work versus the desire for rest. Genesis frames the advance of all human history as ultimately then the tale of two offspring. Right, One are the builder of cities, the other are those who call on the name of the Lord. This is still the only two categories that actually exist, regardless of where we're born, what our nationality is. These are the two categories that that stay constant throughout human time and history. 
It began with Cain and Abel, the first son of Adam and Eve, sons of Adam and Eve. It carries on to Cain and Seth when Abel is murdered. It will ultimately be revealed through the course of time that the true conflict is between the serpent and the promised seed himself. So it will come to Satan and Jesus, the conflict. From here to there, however, from here to there in the, in the Bible, the course of human time, is the ongoing conflict of those desiring to make their home in this world and those who call on the name of the Lord to give us a home from heaven. You and I find our story there in the wandering for a home, even in the pages of Genesis. And it's picked up, that, that whole idea is picked up in Hebrews 13, 14 through 16, beloved. We go with Jesus outside the camp out into the wilderness of this world, not to make a home there, but to bear the reproach he endured. The reproach that Cain inflicted on Abel, the reproach the line of the serpent has always inflicted on the line of those who call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because Hebrews says, why do we go to Jesus outside the camp? Why leave home? Why go into the wilderness where Jesus is and bear the reproach he endured? Why? Why would we ever do that? Why not go through the ease and the comfort and the security of making this world into our home? Why go out there? Why go to him out there, outside of this society and culture and home building and city building? Why leave all that and go to him and bear reproach? Because here we have no lasting city. We seek the city which is to come and it isn't here and no man, no woman can ever build it. You remember, do you remember to watch the Bible just show it. It is, it is, um, do you remember the call to Abraham? And we're going to read in what, six or seven chapters? Abraham from the line of Seth is presented to us in Genesis as a sojourner, the antithetical sojourner to Cain. Both men wandered. Both men built things. But Cain built cities. Do you remember what Abraham built everywhere he went? Altars. Altars. Abraham called on the name of the Lord in his exile from home. And when the Son of Man, the promised seed of Genesis 3.15, finally comes, also from the earthly line of Seth, do you remember what he said of himself? No place to lay his head. Right, But in his wilderness, he would do the same thing those from Seth have always done. Call on the name of the Lord. You, you see the family resemblance going all the way back to the beginning? Do you and I long for a home not of this world? Is that really the goal here? Right? Is that really the goal? Beloved, we all wander. Earth is exile now. But J.R.R. Tolkien was right when he said, All that is gold does not glitter, and not all who wander are lost. Some are seeking a homeland. They just know they won't ever find it here. 
when we get into Hebrews 11, that's the essence of being a Christian. We all wonder that the difference is why. Why? Some wander to find the right place to build their home and make their name great and make it last. The rest wander here because God is their only home. So how can they ever put down roots? We've made it a goal, the goal, to put down roots, make a name, make it last, leave a mark. Just walk with God. That's it. That's it. The the, the sorrow and trial we would save ourselves if we just said, it's not my home. It's not, it's, it's literally, that, that's such a cliche in evangelical culture. I, I understand that. I, I, but, but when we, those word, words have meaning. Propositions have meaning. Well, I'm just passing through. Are you? When you pass through something, do you set up camp and paint and hang drapes and stuff? No. Say, is it a sin then for me to have a house? And no. It's a sin if you think that house is actually home. Right? Which is, which is a scary proposition because what refuge is there in home? When I was in California, I felt literally displaced as a human being. I don't mean to make it sound so melodramatic, but I began to crave what I thought I needed to get away from. Right? I'd come to a place in my life where, um, I thought, you know, there had, there, there has to be a change. There has to be something different, something better than this, which, which, which isn't a desire to leave the idea of home. It's just a desire to find home somewhere else. So as a human being, I felt when we got down there, you, you, you I mean, you're 32 hours from home, 22 over 2000 miles. That has an effect on you as a, as a 40 year old man. It had an effect on me. I thought I was past that. When you are away from home, something happens to you. It's very strange. But it, that wasn't a Godward desire. That was a desire for another place on earth to be my home. No wonder it didn't work out. There is no home. right? There is no home. That's literal. I'm so thankful for the roof over my head that God has provided through Christ-like godly friends of ours. I'm so thankful. But it isn't my home. Right, it's it's that's the beloved that holds true no matter where we are. So much of the sorrow we go through is tied to us continuing to try to force this world into home. Right, it it, it does so much damage to our souls. It does damage to mission. It does damage to love for one another and service to one another. When here we have no lasting city, Christ had. Christ had nowhere to lay his head. In a world that he owns every square inch of, he didn't build a home. The longing for home is the soul's longing for God. And only the promised seed can take us there. Beloved, do we understand that the desire for this world to be our home, we got that from Cain. We got that from Adam. Our desire, which this is what it is, to find our identity in our works, 
and in our accomplishments and in the impact we can have and the lasting name we can make for ourselves is the desire to find our home somewhere other than God. That's what that is. Those of faith long for rest that God grants. Here, you have to work to get rest. Right? God grants it for those that long for him. Everyone sojourns here. Everyone. The problem is that Eden was the only place ever meant to be called home on this earth. And God has barred the entrance to it. God cannot be conscripted to help us gain a home or a name in this world. That's not what he's doing. God is not involved in our lives, saving us, keeping us, and loving us to maximize our existence and our name on the earth. That's not his purpose in leaving his church here. God sent his promised seed to crush the serpent's head and his influence and rescue us from this exile. The world is not your home. The most normal thing a believer can feel is displaced. Have you ever thought about that? Like This will all pass away, literally. This will all pass away. One day there won't be this building, there won't be you and I, if the Lord tarries. Our, our great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren will struggle to remember our names, let alone the various details of our lives. I know my great-grandfather. I have no idea who my great-great-grandfather is. I have no idea what he did, how he lived. Right, we, Beloved, we, we come and we go. The things that are seen are transient. That means each other. As much as it means all these things. God is not in his mercy. Has not removed the hope of eternal life. He's just made it clear. We won't find it here. So the question boils down to. What what do we. Why are we walking with God? What do we want? Right. If, if the point of having God in your life. Is to make your life better. You're going to be profoundly frustrated most of the time. God sent his son to rescue us from this, not to make us at home here. We are not those who want our own name to matter. I know it goes against everything we've been taught since we could understand words. Make a name for yourself. Do what you dream. Do what you want to do. Not, not when it's not home. That, that's, that's like hanging curtains on your airplane seat and painting and decorating and that, that, that's, that's what that is. What will he think when he gets older? Where will he find his home? Right. When, when we're gone. He is our home. Tonight. It's, it's not that we don't have one. It's that it's just not here. It's a very different thing. He is my home. Beloved, no matter where we roam, no matter where we put down roots, which, which again has its, its purpose and its place, it, it's, everything comes down to where my hope is, where my faith is. No matter where we go or where we are, 
There's not one inch of this earth that will ever be my true home. Our desire to find a home on earth is our inheritance from the fall. We need rescued from that because it's in our DNA. So call on the name of the Lord. He will answer. He will answer. Long for him. Long for him. Because one day, you and I will be not. For he will take us. Jesus Christ is my far green country that Tolkien talks about in in the return of the king. He is my home. I want to return to the one that breathed life into me. That's the goal. That's the goal. When that is the goal, who can take that from you? Who can take that from you? He breathed life into us. We came from him. We must return to him. And Jesus comes saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets home except through him. I Desire for each and every single one of us that God is our home. Nobody can take that from us. Nothing can take that from us. All right, let's pray. We'll sing a closing hymn here. It's page 344. As soon as I'm done praying, if you would please stand. I'll be down front if you need to pray for any reason. Father, we praise you tonight for the promise that you have maintained and carried down through every generation of mankind. Lord, you never left yourself without a testimony in this world to the fact that paradise and eternal life could be regained. But Father, only through your way. So Lord, teach us to be the people that long for you to bring a home to us from heaven when you give us yourself on that final day. And Lord, be with each one of us tonight. Help us believe these things and trust your word. Sustain us, Lord, as we live here because in the meantime, it is very hard to believe these things. It's very hard. Father, be our home. Be our goal. We ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.